All right. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing? For the husbands and uh, boyfriends, um, just a quick reminder: Valentine's Day is uh, next Saturday, so please don't forget. Uh, for the single guys, you know you still have a week uh, to find someone to celebrate Valentine's Day with. Um, but if you're trying to make a reservation, forget about it. It's too late. It's probably all booked now. But there is hope, right? There is hope because uh, Valentine's Day is not about you know I, I I've been married for about four years now. Our, our anniversary was last last week, and you know I think I have some wisdom now. You know, having been married for four whole years, that I can share with you guys, right, about Valentine's Day. And, you know, Valentine's Day is not about, you know, driving through traffic, okay, and being with the hordes of people as you sit in a packed restaurant eating a prefix menu, which just means that it's a limited menu with double the price and with, you know, your Godiva chocolate-covered strawberries and your teddy bear and overpriced flowers. That's not what Valentine's Day is about, okay? So you, there's hope, okay? Valentine's Day, and I want to give you this nugget of truth, okay, is it's about each other, right? So write that down. Remember it this Saturday, okay? Valentine's Day is about each other. It's not about all that extracurricular stuff. It's about each other. And, you know, Valentine's Day is a good day to just reflect, right? To think about your, your relationship and the joys and the tears and the happiness and all the memories and trips or whatever it is. And, you know, as you think about that stuff, you, you become more thankful and you, you start to grow in your love for that person even more. And so, you know, it's not just with uh, Valentine's Day, but with anniversaries, even with birthdays, uh, you take the time to step back from your busy schedule and from the chaos of, of life and you say, today we're going to remember you and just be thankful for you and for who you are. And, you know, I think these times are really important because, Life is so chaotic, right? Life is so busy. You know, there's so many times when we don't have the time or remember to appreciate the people around us. But these types of events give us that opportunity, all right? I think of Sundays in, in much that way. You know, Sundays are that time for us to come before God and to really give thanks and to remember who he is and what he's done for us. You know, when we think about how busy our lives are, there's so much stress, and it's so chaotic. But my call, my call and challenge for us here today is to remember Christ here, remember God as we come before him. And this is what the first part of our passage is about. First John chapter 3, he calls us to remember the love of God the Father, right? It says, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This first sentence, it says, remember this. Remember the love the Father has given to us. And, you know, when John says this, you know that it's important because John's not the type to just kind of throw out this phrase, love, and be kind of careless about it. He's actually very serious about this term, love, right? He is known as the apostle of love. That's kind of the nickname that they gave him. In the Gospel of John, the one that he authored, he describes himself as the disciple that God loved, the, the one that God himself or Jesus loved. And, you know, we see that he was part of that inner circle. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he was part of that inner circle, the, the three. He was close to it, and Jesus loved him. And, you know, even 
when you talk about, you know, John 3.16, that's one of the most famous verses that we know as a believer. It's, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, John's serious about love. And if you want to talk about, like, statistics, Ephesians is the next letter that talks about love the most. And he, they have, Paul mentions it, like, 20 times. But in, in John, he mentions it, like, 44 times. And then in 1 John, the, the book that we're in right now, in five chapters, he mentions it 48 times. The love of God, that, that we're lo loved by God. And so when John says to think about the love, the type of love that God has for us, he's being very serious. He is consumed by the love of God. He is absorbed and wrapped in that love, and he loves it so much. He's meditated on it so much. He says, hey, think about that love that God has for you. More specifically, he says, think about the love that he has for you by the fact that he's called you children of God, right? That second part, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That God himself has adopted us into his family. People who are unworthy, people who are lost and hopeless, he has adopted us and brought us into his family. Um, this past year, so 2014, I had two sisters whom I'm really close with, my high school friends, they recently had additions to their family. And uh, one sister and her husband, they adopted a kid from another country. And another sister and her husband, they are part of the, the foster care system. Right? And they're already on their, their second child. And, you know, to me, this is like the perfect picture of the gospel. It's so beautiful where, you know, they are making this conscious choice to choose these children to love on them and to care for them. And, you know, before, apart from them, they were, you know, in foster homes or they were in other places. And, and yet, out of their love, their choice, they said, hey, I'm going to pour my love on this person. And so these children get to experience the fullness of that love, the love of that gentle care, um, the generosity and the blessing and the fullness of Everything that I have, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give to you. Even the love of discipline, right? I love you so much that I want you to walk in the right way. And, and so I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to lead you in the right way. I'm going to make myself known to you and I'm going to develop this relationship with you. All this for a child who can't, you know, clean his own diaper, that you have to clean their diapers. You know, they're not... Uh, Physically, you know, you're a child, and yet they've made this choice. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel. And that exactly what it is that God has done for us, right? People who are sons of darkness, who are lost, who are hopeless. God has said, I have chosen to love you. I have adopted you into my family through the cost of my own son, Jesus Christ. I have brought you into my family. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And he says, now, as you are part of my family, now you will receive the love of my gentle care. You will receive uh, the blessing, the abounding love that I'm going to pour out to you, that I'm going to give everything of myself to you. We receive the love of his discipline, where even though we face hardships and trials, where he says, I'm going to use this for you to grow 
because I love you and I care for you and I want you to learn. And he gives us the love of himself where he reveals himself to us so that he would be known so that we can have this relationship with him. This is what it means that we are children of God. And what a privilege it is that God has counted us worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has loved us. This is the love that John wants us to consider. Man, God loves us so much. This is what, the first point that I want us to just hold on to. And if you remember anything about this sermon, this is one of two that I would really ask that you would remember that the God the Father loves us. And he loves us so much that he's called us to be his sons and daughters. Now, it goes on to say that now as sons and daughters of God, the implication now is that if we're in, brought into his family, we're actually brought out of another family, right? We're brought into and we're made sons and daughters of God, but we're brought out of sons and daughters of darkness, of Satan, of, of devil himself, right? Of the world. He has brought us out of that. Now the world no longer recognizes us. This is what he says in the second part of verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Right? But they didn't recognize God the Father. So now, us being children of the Father, they will not recognize us. And you know, we see glimpses of that even today. You know, when, when you turn on the TV and you see uh, things that are going on across the world where Christians are being persecuted, where they don't recognize God the Father, and they say, you know what, these Christians they're heathens, or they're, they're, they're worthy of death, and they kill them or persecute them. You see, even on sports, right, when someone does a crazy play and they score a touchdown, and then they're like, oh, you know, how was that play? And they go, first and foremost, I want to thank my Lord. And as soon as they start talking about God and all that stuff, you see them kind of censor it, right? They start interrupting them, saying other stuff, or changing the topic, or whatever it is, and going to somewhere else. And you see that they don't recognize God as Father, and then they don't recognize us as followers. And you even see it with, you know, unbelievers, you know, coworkers, friends, people around us who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who, who you know, fall into sin, who, who enjoy sin, they revel in sin, and they're like, oh, man, you should get involved, and yet, you know, we're trying to be pure and holy and all that, and they don't recognize what we're about, what we're trying to do as, as Christians, as godly people trying to live in holiness. And he says, the reason why they don't recognize you is because they didn't recognize the Father. Now, as soon as you hear this part, you know, many of us might kind of have this thought where it's like, man, we're to live this life in such a way that people recognize uh, that we're not of this world, that they're, they're perplexed by us, that they're utterly confused by who we are. But when I evaluate my life, you know, do people really see that I'm not of this world, that I'm different, that I'm not a child of darkness, that I'm a child of God? And, you know, some people might think, you know, maybe I don't live my life that differently. Maybe the way I carry myself, maybe my speech, people actually think that I'm part of the world. And that actually becomes very worrisome and actually very discouraging in your walks with Christ because as you're pursuing Christ, you realize, man, I haven't really 
been that example. You know, I haven't really set myself apart. Well, to that, John encourages us for those who are discouraged in that next part. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Kind of a difficult verse, but let's break it down, right? It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's set. God has declared it to be so, and that is who we are. That cannot change, right? We are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Meaning, that full understanding of who we are in Christ and the, the perfect sinlessness, uh, loving God perfectly, all of that, in the future, what we will be has not yet appeared, right? It's not yet in this present time. We haven't fully grasped it. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, right? When Jesus Christ appears, on that final day when Christ appears, when we see him as he truly is in all his holiness, he says, we will be like him. And so the encouragement for those of us who are very discouraged about, man, I've been living this Christian life and you know, I don't really think I've made a dent in the world. I think people view me as the same as everyone else. The encouragement is, hey, it's not done yet. You have a hope that you will be like Jesus in the end. That even though right now you might not fully be like him, your status as a child of God promises you that in the end when Christ comes, you will be like him. And so to have that heart, have that strength, and to be encouraged to know that you have that hope. The next part of that verse says that everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what he's saying is, now if you look into the future, you know you have that hope. You will become like Christ. You will be perfected. Now with that hope in mind, in this life, today, now, purify yourself as Jesus Christ is pure. It's calling you to look at the future uh, conclusion of what's going to happen, and as a result of that, let that affect the way you're living your life right now. Uh, Robert Yarbrough, this commentator in uh, the First John passage that we were reading, he says, he says it like this. He likens it to uh, a tax refund, right? All of us, you know, we're filing our taxes soon, and we're all excited waiting for that tax refund, right? And he says, it's like that huge tax refund that you're awaiting. And, you know, that's going to be in the future. That's already set. You know how much you're going to get, and you're waiting in anticipation for that. It's going to come at a certain time. But now he says, in light of that, live your life now in light of that future hope. You know, and I think we do this all the time. You're like, oh, man, I'm going to get $2,000. I'm going to buy myself a MacBook or whatever it is, right? And you have this future hope. You know what you're going to get later on, and as a result, it affects the way you live your life now. And he's saying in the same way, know that you have a future hope, that we will be like Christ, that we will be perfected. That shouldn't be an excuse for sin to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be perfect later. I'll just live however I want. No, it's just use that to affect your life to say, hey, if I'm going to be pure, I'm going to be, I'm going to be perfected, I'm going to live now in light of that, and I'm going to be Pure. I'm going to live in purity as he is pure. I'm going to imitate God the Father. This point is the second point that I really want to emphasize and that I want us to leave with, that John is very uh, emphatic about this point, that we need to be pure 
as he is pure, that we need to take sin seriously. You know, John, as he's, refer- as he's talking to his audience, he's very serious about this. Uh, if you guys remember Pastor Steve's sermon last week, uh, he was talking about how uh, there's two different natures about Jesus Christ. Remember, there was false teachers that came into First uh, John, this church, and they were giving them all this false teaching. And if you don't remember, I'll give you a, f- a little bit of a refresher. The main point is that all of these false teachers, they're trying to make an excuse so that they can sin, okay? What they're doing is they're saying Jesus Christ came into this world, but he came in two different natures. One part was the fleshly nature, the worldly nature, and the next part is the spiritual nature. And he says, in all these different uh, places like Apollinarianism, and Nestorianism, they have all these different uh, beliefs, but in the end, all of them say there's two different natures of Jesus Christ, which we know to be false, because Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, un- indivisible, right? He can't be divided, but they're saying he's two different types of people. This is the false teachers, and they're saying there's a worldly part, and there's a spiritual part, and the spiritual part is sinless, it's holy, it's perfect, and this fleshly part is worldly, it's part of the world, it's a little tainted and all that stuff, and Jesus Christ is a mix of that. Now, for all of us, we hear this and we're like, well, how does that even apply to me? What? That's just some theological stuff that people talk about, but actually, it has a lot of implications into our lives today because these people would use this theology, this belief, and say, now that we're believers, we're just like Jesus Christ. We have this flesh, worldly nature that's sinful, and we have the spiritual nature that's worldly, or that's part of the uh, heavenly stuff. And, and now we're perfect in our spiritual nature, even though our worldly stuff is still in sin. And actually, they would use that as an excuse to sin, saying, it doesn't matter how you live in this world, because however you live, your spiritual nature is perfect still, and you're sinless. And as a result of that, people who abided by this teaching, they would just live as sinners. They would continue to live. They practice in sin. They would revel in sin and say, it doesn't matter because the way I live does not matter because my spiritual state is sinless. It's perfect. And so this theology was messing them up. Now, I don't know if you hold to some theology that affects the way you, you know, live your practical life, but I would contest that even though we're not theological per se in the way we talk and the terms that we use, I would say in the things that we believe, it shows a lot about who we think about who God is, right? Who we say God is in our lives. I think just like these false teachers who justify themselves in their sins, I think a lot of times we do that as well, myself included. We often make ways to justify our sin. You know, we, we have situations where we just say, hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal, right? How many of you guys have heard that before? It's, that sin is just a small sin. It's not like you're murdering someone. It's not that big of a deal, and you justify what you do. Or you say, hey, you know, we're going to be perfect in the end. It's impossible, to, it's impossible to be perfect now. So it's okay. Just live your life the way you want, because in the end, you know, you're going to be perfect. You know, it's impossible to obey every single command, right? So it's okay. You know, it's okay to be lenient. It's okay to be casual. It's okay to just live your life the way you want. And we make all of these excuses. You know, we say, hey, don't worry. You you could just commit this little sin right now, and you can repent right after, 
and everything will be good, right? And we make all these excuses. The calling that John has here for us is that we cannot be casual with our sin, that we need to purify us ourselves as God is pure. And, you know, there's, in, in every aspect of our lives, um, you know, tax season is coming up again, like I said, and it's so easy to kind of fudge the numbers and say, hey, as long as the IRS doesn't come and audit us, we're good. We're going to have, like, an extra amount of money to spend. And, you know, God calls us to purify us ourselves and to be holy as he is holy. You know, it's not about being caught or not caught, right? It's before God. Or even people who are dating and they say, you know, it's okay to be physically intimate. You know, we're going to get married anyways. You know, it's just one sin. We can repent afterwards. And we justify, you know, the way we live our lives and say, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone in the world, they, that's how they live their lives. Or people who grow in drunkenness or anger or whatever it is, and we say, that's just, it's just a small sin. It's not that big of a deal. But the thing that's scary to me as I was kind of studying this and, you know, as I was kind of meditating on this idea is that, you know, when you hear those things in your mind, you know, when you start to justify things in your mind about it's not that big of a deal or you start thinking, well, I can always repent later on or, you know, or it's impossible to be perfect now anyways. Those don't come from God. I mean, think about that. There's, you're hearing voices and, and you're, you're justifying yourself to sin, but God would never justify a sin for you. He'll never say, yeah, 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 go ahead and do that. Don't worry, when you repent, I'll be there. You know, he'll never say, oh, yeah, yeah, that sin's not that big. Then where does it come from, right? If, if that does not come from God, where does that come from? It comes from the evil one. It comes from Satan. He's tempting us to fall into sin. He's taking the truths that we know and twisting it so that we would fall into sin, deeper and deeper into sin. This is the crux of the later half of, the, uh, of verse 4 through 10, but I wanted to read starting in verse 7. Remember, he's talking to people who are being deceived by uh, people who are false teachers and they're justifying the sin. And this is what he tells them. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love God. He makes it pretty clear, right? Those who practice righteousness is of God. Those who practice sinning is of the devil. And, you know, First John is a series of tensions, right? It goes back and forth where it says, you know, you have to stop sinning because then you're not saved. And then at the same time they say, but on this side, 
you know, you're secure because you know that you're saved in Christ because of what Christ has done. So you should be holy like Christ is holy because God's people are holy and you need to act like God's people or else you're not one of God's people. But at the same time, God has died for you and he has called you his people, so you're secure, right? There's this tension where you feel unsecure, insecure and you're like, man, am I really a follower of Christ? And then at the same time, he says, I want you to be secure. I want you to know that Christ has died for your sins, right? To be clear, I think this passage is on the side where he's challenging us to be firm in our faith, to have a backbone, to be strong, to not whittle away and say, oh, it's so discouraging. I keep falling into sin and I can't handle it anymore. I'm just going to live the way I just want to live. And, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm not hurting anyone. I enjoy it from time to time. I'll just sin. It's okay. But he's saying, no, resolve. Have that resolve to turn from sin. This is who we are. We've been called sons and daughters of God. And our identity is people who purify ourselves as he is pure. And that is the exhortation that he has for us, that we are children of God, that we are no longer children of the devil. And so continue in practicing righteousness. As we hear this, uh, there are people who will despair. You know, they'll say, oh, man. I'm so far away from this, you know, and I want to encourage you guys, hey, cling to the cross. You know, it is not by our works that we're justified. It's not by our works that we're saved, but by Christ, you know, when we cling on to it, we have this eternal salvation. So do not despair of your salvation because of what Christ has done. But at the same time, you know, this passage is for those who have just been coasting, you know, who have just been living this life and just saying, ah, that it's just too much work to deal with sin. You know, there's so many other things that I need to deal with in this life. There's so many other stresses. To deal with, stre- to, to deal with sin, it's just too much. And I don't want to deal with it anymore. It's for the people who've become indifferent and, and apathetic. Um, you know, we live in a culture today that is very casual about sin. If not, they celebrate sin, right? They celebrate a lot of things that, you know, are sinful. Um, But the calling that we have today uh, is to be zealous for the name of Christ, to be fervent. Um, And, and, you know, a lot of times we're afraid that we might be labeled as that fanatic or whatever it is, but, you know, let's put all that aside. God has called us to be zealous for his name to be pure, to be holy, and righteousness in all that we do. And let that be an encouragement to you guys. Let that be a challenge to you guys that we would do that, that you would discipline yourself, that you would strengthen yourself, that you would find accountability, or whatever it is to purify yourself. Um, you know, every time I get a chance to speak, I like to share about you know, our five commitments that we have at Crossway, right? These are the pillars of what we really value at our church. And One of the things is a transformation through discipleship, where we believe that transformation comes when you're convicted by the gospel of what Christ has done for us, and not by someone guilting you into changing or telling you, hey, that's bad, that's good, right? But it has to come from a conviction within yourself. And you know, I think as a church, uh, I think we're really good at being generous. You know, even just looking at 
the whole Be Generous campaign in December and just seeing people giving their time and their money and their resources and whatever it is to help others. Man, it was such an awesome sight to see. And I think this is one of the hallmarks and the characters of our church that we can say, hey, this is what Crossway is about. We are a giving church. We're a generous church because of what Christ has done for us, right? The gospel has transformed us into a people who give. You know, and I pray that that would be true of us today in our holiness as well that the gospel would transform us to live a life that is holy and pure. That, you know, I hope that I'm not here, you know, making you feel guilty about anything, but that you would feel convicted by the Holy Spirit to live a life that is holy and pure. Um, So let me just pray for us, and we'll close. Dearly Father, we we'll confess uh, that there are times in our life where we have been defeated. And there are times when we've not gotten up after we've been knocked down. And instead, we've gotten complacent, Lord. Uh, We've fallen into sin, uh, maybe even made it a habit. And at some point in our life, we've just become complacent, Lord. God, I pray for myself, I pray for our church, that we would be a people who fervently seek holiness, Lord. To be holy as you are holy, Lord. God, I pray that that would be a challenge in our lives to recognize that you've paid the price, you've loved us so much that you've adopted us into your family. And one of the characteristics of that being in that family is that we are pure and that we are holy and though we might not attain it in this life today may we cling to the hope of Christ's return and God give us strength give us resolve give us the discipline as we go home and pursue holiness for your name's sake Lord we thank you and in Jesus name we pray